0: Hey everyone and welcome to the first episode of the Hornblood Fire podcast. Uh, Today I'm joined by Claire Wright, a fellow movie reviewer and curator of the Sunday Scaries Film Club over on Instagram at Sunday Scaries with two Ys. Unfortunately, as this is the first episode, I did have a couple of Teething problems with the audio and sadly i did lose the introduction where claire and i are saying hello to each other etc so we're just going to jump straight in today at the point where claire is introducing how she got started with the sunday scaries film club enjoy
1: it originally started in one of my friends' backyards, and it was a really great way to get together in a very safe way in the pandemic, like outside, yeah. you know, seats spread apart, just a few people, and it was something mm-hmm. really lovely to look forward to every single week. And we mm-hmm. would watch just weird B-list movies that we found, or things that we'd wanted to see, and it was just like such a lovely environment, and made me really feel like I fit into a horror world, and then. Yeah, I love We had like a second wave in the pandemic and things got worse. And then it got, I mean, everyone's going to be like, it's cold in L.A., really, Claire. But it does get kind of cold (laughs) in the winter. In my mind, it's like perfect weather all the time. I mean, it's all relative. It doesn't get like freezing cold. But to the point where like it is way too chilly to watch a movie outside at night. That slowed down and I was really missing it. And so then I was Mm -hmm. like, how can I continue this like club community? And that's. On Jan, I think it was January first, I decided to move the club online. Ah, and that's okay. how it was I love born that. in the pandemic, as a way to keep it going when things got scary again. And yeah, <laughs> um, I, so I decided to do every month I would do a theme, and then every Sunday the films would fall into that theme. The horror community is such.
0: It's a, it's a great way during the pandemic to be able to meet people from all over the world and like a, a safe environment and hang out with people virtually. So I love that you took it from like a real life thing and then adapted it to, you know, this weird world that we're currently living in. Every time I see where you go, when you post and I see all you guys like hanging out watching the movies, it looks so fun. It just looks like a really cool atmosphere.
1: It is. Yes, I was so fortunate. I was able to house sit for five weeks this summer. So I had this amazing house with a pool with this like amazing projector set up and was able to host yeah like four or five different sunday scaries events there and that was so much fun that's actually my like big time dream right now is cooking up so i'm obviously still having it as a film club online but i really want to make it a in-person screening series That That is like my big life goal is to have a horror screening series.
0: 100% down. Yes. It just (laughs) sounds so cool. So do you think like when the pandemic calms down, you're going to start up the real life events again?
1: Yes, definitely. There's so much that I have to figure out via like event spaces because I obviously will want it to grow. And I think a big lesson that I learned this summer is when I realized that I wanted it to become a real life screening series, I think I got so excited and I had all of these ideas and I was getting like really like, okay, in October I'll like have events because it's like Mm. spooky season. And I think I was taking on too much because I was just so excited. Like I I feel like I finally felt like my life path was being figured out and I felt like I found my passion. And so, but then it's like, it's pandemic. It's still weird for events. Like, you know, I'm just trying to give myself the time to
0: figure it all out. I just think it's lovely that you have managed to adapt it so well in this current situation and meet all these great people in real life and online.
1: Thank you so much. That means so much to me to hear that. It feels really special on my end too. Yeah. And I I feel so, so fortunate and so lucky. And I, I think, I mean, as you know, via talking to me in DMs, I'm super hard mm-hmm. on myself, but I think it's so yeah. nice. The horror community is so supportive and it's just so nice to hear like, I, I'm always telling people, like, I love what they're doing with their accounts. And it's so nice to get it back and have that level of support. And so, yeah, I'm just, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. And I'm just so excited <laughs> for moving <Honestly>. forward. <laughs>
0: You were one of the first accounts that I started talking to more personally rather than, you know, just outside of horror and stuff. Your account was definitely one of the ones that when I saw, when I was first getting into the community, I was like, oh, my God, like these posts are so stylish. They're so aesthetically Mm -hmm. pleasing and gorgeous. (laughs) And I was going to ask you about that, actually, because I I find it really interesting that you said that you had a background in fashion, because to me, it's, it's so clear that from your account and things that you choose to post that like aesthetics, gorgeous aesthetics of horror are very important to you because you always choose like the most impeccable screenshots there's like a clear choice of color coordination in a lot of your posts and you also do horror fashion fridays which we vote on you know the, like iconic outfits from movies and it's it's so clear to me that fashion and style and glamour in horror
1: is very important to you am i am i right in thinking that you are absolutely right in thinking that yeah. that is <laughs> i feel like that is my brand <laughs> my brand is yeah, aesthetic no, no, horror no, no. i did go to a fashion school for a year but then decided It wasn't what I wanted to do and then became a film major, but then joke was on me because then I worked in fashion for 10 years, but now I'm like back into film. It's all a mix, but I do think I'm a very visual person, and I Mm -hmm. think that that's why fashion and film have been mediums to me that have really – art forms that have really spoken to me, and I think – when i watch a film the visual story is always the first thing that i react to and i didn't even mm-hmm. realize that until honestly doing sunday scaries how important the visual story is to me i think i i don't know yeah it just like it became so apparent like like you said with images that i was choosing and and things that i thought were very important in the film that maybe people don't always look at or don't don't watch the visual story unfold as much for me, if the plot is shit, if it's visually beautiful, I'm obsessed. Like I am like connected and I'm like deeply into it. And like it doesn't matter because if I'm watching a visual story unfold, that is like what gets me going. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah, a great aesthetic is very forgiving. Exactly. It is a visual medium. So if you are giving us something that is a feast for the eyes, if you are telling mm-hmm. us a mood in lighting and the set and the costumes are all conveying that in their own way. 100%. Yeah. So like my favorite horror film of all time is the original Mm -hmm. Suspiria.
0: (laughs) I can see that. I can definitely see that. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's some of the most iconic examples of beautiful lighting and costuming.
1: It is. It's like, to me, it's like the perfect horror film. And I do know that the plot is light and there are some holes. And like, (laughs) I do, like, I, I see it. But for me, the way everything is presented and the, Mm Feeling that I get just watching it, like, yeah. that is what I want <laughs> from the films. That is, like, what, the peak Yeah, that's what I want for from me. life. I wish
0: my life looked I like wish that. My How did you feel like about that? the
1: remake, by the way? Okay, so I haven't seen it. When I, like, love, love an original, it's really, really hard for me to watch a remake. And I don't want to be, like, a remake hater, but it's just, like, it's, like, really hard for me to get that... Yep around my brain <laughs> in my opinion the remake
0: if you watch it as if it's not a remake like the way i went into it was i thought okay it's not a remake it's a retelling which is the same way i watched like i watched candy man recently the new Candyman, and i kind of thought the same um it's beautiful
1: in a different way i would say i think that the hype has drawn down enough from it now that i can just watch it and i, I really do like i think that that's something that i do need to get better about is just separating it and just be like it's not a remake this is, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly like you said, a retelling. I, I, I'm i going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm promising to <laughs> you, to everyone listening, I'm going to give it <laughs> a chance. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. So, but when we talked
0: about doing this podcast, the FFO you gave me was beauty, paranoia, and the surreal. Mm-hmm. So we've <laughs> talked a little bit about beauty, but um, I'm kind of interested to know what attracts you to more of a surreal style.
1: I think that it all comes into play with beauty in my head too. Like I Mm -hmm. love dream sequences. They get me because even when you're seeing a dream sequence that you're not sure is a dream sequence Mm -hmm. yet, there is that, even if you don't have like a filtery, cloudy image around it, I think that you get, it's, it, it is surreal. It's that play on what is real, what is not. It's that in between ground of familiar and not. It's like a pull. I love like a juxtaposition. And so I think whenever I watch a surrealist film or something mm-hmm. that is an abstract film, I like that space in between comfortable yeah. and not comfortable. And mm-hmm. I find beauty in the madness. There is, in even in some films that are like so abstract and ugly and gritty that mm. that space is really interesting to me to explore and feel like that level of discomfort I think that those all those aspects all combine for me that goes to paranoia too with dream sequences it also helps us question within ourselves what we see as real our emotions our fears Mulholland Drive is a a perfect choice for that kind
0: of connects all of those things because it is a film that is so it's got a lot of focus on you know the american dream and um, the glamour and draw of hollywood it's an exploration of the underbelly as well exactly the darker places
1: like i like going back to what i said like i really love juxtaposition and i think that that dreams equal juxtaposition in my head or dreams or nightmare or the surreal and so what I love about Mulholland Drive, I mean, there's so many things I love about it, but mm-hmm. we do get that, like, the glamour of Hollywood versus what really goes on behind the scenes. Or, and it might be a dramatized version of what goes on behind the scenes, but the hands at play that control all the light and dark dream versus reality, it does those juxtapositions so well. Um, so I, I have to admit, when you
0: chose Mulholland, I was very, very excited because I think I might have had some bias towards suggesting it to you because you live there.
1: Yes. So Mulholland Drive itself is a super narrow, steep, windy road. And I know it's like has a record of being unsafe. And mm. even when I I mean, I um, nanny in Laurel Canyon, which is in the canyon in the hills. So I okay. I take I've gotten used to those kinds of roads. Mm. But it's so perfect to place the film and the danger that happens there on like one of the, you know, I don't again, I don't know stats, but a very dangerous, notoriously dangerous road in L.A. And I think that that, again, is a beautiful juxtaposition because you've got this dangerous road in this beautiful, you know, like fairy tale. Like you think Hollywood and you think Mm. everything is perfect and glamorous and it is, like, Dry like, the houses when you go along. Like, it's beautiful, beautiful outlook of the city. But I do think that, like, danger element mm. mixed with mm. the beauty is was like, so smart to set that there and to name the film that because I think that this would be the only difference not the only difference, but a big difference from being someone who lives here as a viewer because you know the history. Right. You, like, you hear Mahalan right. Drive and you know. You know, like, it's history and you, if you've been on it, you know, like, how oh, you're racking yeah, it community yeah, yeah. to drive. So I think that, maybe as someone who lives here, you hear that name, like, viewers who were watching it when it came out probably had a... Notion of what Mulholland Drive itself was already. Mm -hmm. So having that was probably, you know, just the only, I would say, probably only leg up. Other than that, like, I feel like the Hollywood stereotypes are pretty well known in the film. Like, I don't think it goes into any, at least for me, niche areas. I feel like, you know, like, you've got the whole, like, cowboy Americana, (laughs) like, studio picture ideas. You've, like, I feel like... I don't know. There probably are a lot of little <laughs> nuances that I'm missing. But as far as like, I feel like it's a pretty standard view of like what glamour Hollywood is. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's as it's the film is like it's a series of images about Hollywood. So like you mentioned, it's got the cowboy, it's got the Americana and they have the scene where they're drinking coffee in the back room. And it's kind of like um, everything is biased towards getting this one actress in the into mm-hmm. the role. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's even like, even myself, I, you know, I've never been to Hollywood, I don't know anything about it, but these are all instantly <laughs> recognizable images that even someone who's never been can they connect them to be like, oh, okay, I see what he's trying to represent with this part.
1: I think that that's what's really cool about Mulholland Drive is I feel like it's probably his most accessible work, but I'm not saying that it's not... It it, You know, it's still Lynchian. It's still what we love. But I think it's really cool because, I mean, when you're first watching it, I mean, when I first watched it, I didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, like, I'm like, (laughs) it's it's funny because it's such a good movie to rewatch because then you're like, oh, like, look at all of these little nuggets that we get. Like, look at all of these references. He, like, puts in so much dream stuff to the point where, like, when you watch it again, you're like, oh, yeah, I get that I'm watching a dream now. It's when you're first watching it and things start to, like, get weird at like that last third half you're like wait what <laughs> um,
0: oh my god yeah
1: but that aside i think it's cool because the plot line in this big dream sequence is really accessible you're, you get it you're like okay so there's these these powers at hand they're weird and they're like kind of mob mafia-ish kind of character yeah. stereotypes and they've got the money and they're controlling the studios and like but And there's obviously, like, surrealist weird things happening, but you, like, understand the basic concept of, like, okay, so there's this girl that they want. yeah, She's going to get the role no matter what. And then this, like, film noir mystery of, like, oh, this girl with amnesia. How's her connection? Yeah. Like, it is the basic, like, kind of mystery aspect is really accessible and I think that it's it's nice to have that point because that alone is a really interesting movie a really interesting story in itself and then everything gets flipped on its head and there's all yeah. these other elements which obviously make it so incredible to watch as well but I think that at the very basis I really enjoy that a chunk of it is super accessible.
0: In terms of Lynch's work, none of his work is let's say easy to understand, but I think Mulholland Drive is the one that most people after a couple of watches it's you know, it c- compare it to I don't know, I act Mulholland Drive is actually one of his last films that I saw well his later films that I saw I mean I was in love with Twin Peaks obviously we do Twin Peaks Tuesdays over on the account and Eraserhead Blue Velvet was a big favorite of mine back when I was like in a manic depressive phase so um (laughs) I remember I got I got to Mohan quite later than his others and yeah I, I remember at first I was like oh okay this one's I still don't really understand it but it's more accessible than his others and that's probably why it's his most beloved one I would say I mean I don't have stats to back that up but I would no
1: I agree say and when, when I say also accessible like I I am saying this in a in, in like a positive way like I'm not saying yeah. like I, I think you understand what I'm saying but I think that it's still like for viewers who haven't seen it don't like don't think that this is just like a regular
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> regular yeah, yeah. old
1: rom-com <laughs> like you're still going to be taken on a journey but it's just It's nice to have a familiarity with watching it. And and then that gets flipped on its head, which is awesome. And I think that that's the whole juxtaposition again, right? Like we have this familiar plot line, uh, this noir thing that we can all kind of understand. And then it all gets flipped on its head.
0: We we both, um, on our social media, we both focus on... More specifically, horror movies. Um, Mulholland Drive isn't traditionally defined as a horror movie. I guess, like you said, it's it's a mystery, it's a noir, it's got thriller elements, but it does have very horrifying moments. Would yeah. you define it as a horror or something else?
1: I think it's traditionally probably like a mystery, noir, thriller. But I don't, I don't really like to like gatekeep. I want us to kind of have open minds to what. I don't, I, I don't want things super defined by a specific yeah. genre. I think that it's really cool to watch films that have all different kinds of aspects to them and aren't boxed in. Because I think that, Definitely. I mean, it's 100% great when something is total horror. Like, lo- love that too. But so I, I think that maybe it wouldn't traditionally be called a horror, but I think that it has so many elements that make it horror and...
0: And I, I think Lynch himself, you know, he notoriously doesn't like to be boxed in to one specific uh, state of thought. But exactly. having said that, all of his movies do have horror elements and they have kind of this all pervasive pressure of horror on them. I mean, even and Drive. It, so the film opens with, you know, that scene of people doing the jitterbug and it's uh, like the purple background and... I feel like in any other director's hands, that might be quite a, oh, oh, it's a cutesy, happy moment. But with Lynch, it's, even that moment is horrible to me. That's scary. Just, you know, like the warping music, the 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 weird choice to just do this plain monochromatic purple background. It's just, it, it puts me on edge from
1: the get-go. It does. Um. Oh, it really sets the tone.
0: It's a great opening. It's a very Lynchian opening. So leading into what I thought we could talk about today, so... Due to some studio pressure, Lynch had to kind of provide a set of 10 quote-unquote clues to help people fully understand this film, which I think he put out with the DVD release. Um, and that's pretty unusual for him because he's he's usually so evasive about, you know, explaining his movies. There's that infamous yeah. uh, interview where the <laughs> guy's Eraser like, is your most- oh, film. explain why Eraserhead is your most spiritual film, and he's just, no. Uh, that, to me, is just He like, says something like,
1: he's like, you just watched it. Or you know what I mean? He's like, it's like there's like a quote that he's like, Can you like, yeah, talk about what the film's about? And he's like, Watch the film. It's it just shows it, yeah. you what it's about. I I love this cranky old man. I'm obsessed with David Lynch. So these clues I'm so excited to hear these. Do you have them? Are we gonna discuss them?
0: I have them. We're gonna oh go God. through them. Yeah. Okay. So back to what we were saying about the beginning of the film. So the first clue that Lynch said, clue number one, pay particular attention to the beginning of the film at least two clues are revealed before the credits. So like like we've spoken a little bit about, we open on that and we see Naomi Watts' glowing face on the screen and she kind of opens up, she's like an angel. And the announcer says that Betty uh, is the winner of this competition. Yes. And then from there we go into, so there's this transition into this heavy breathing Mm -hmm. um, and we go into like the red bed and it's, it's clear that someone's falling asleep. So that We kind of told from the get-go, like, hey, this is a dream.
1: Yes, Um, but it happens so quickly. Yeah, it just kind of fades into that. And then mm -hmm. upon first watching, you're probably not even – you're just, like, settling down, you know, waiting for credits, you know. And so I think – but it is. It's right there. Like, he's giving it to us right there. It's so genius. Yes. (laughs) And and, – I do a lot of Lynch analysis,
0: obviously, the Twin Peaks stuff. And sometimes people are like, why are you watching the scene over and over again to look at, like, the length of a table? And I'm like, because it's Lynch. Yeah. (laughs) There's a reason. There's a reason that he chose this table or this clock or whatever. It's not nothing. He I feel like nothing he does is by accident. No. Mm-mm. But a lot of the stuff he does do, he sometimes I think to him it doesn't have a meaning, but he knows that we're going to go and look for a meaning. And that's just why mm-hmm. I love him because he's, <laughs> he's just this like twisted, mean old genius. <laughs> I, I love the guy. Um, but yeah, so from the beginning, before the credits, he's already told us it's a dream. There's also, So I don't know about this. So I read this online is that there's this huffing sound, like this heavy breathing uh-huh. sound, which... Uh, I'm not familiar with the sound myself, but a lot of people said it's similar to the sound when um, you take crack, when you oh. use a crack pipe, I guess. So <laughs> that would also, if it is that okay. sound, that would be really interesting because it's, you know, we find out later that um, Diane, who is the Naomi Watts character, she's not having a great time. Um,
1: but that, yeah, that's interesting because is, is there any reference to drugs throughout? Like, I don't, I don't think I caught... Any of that I way. don't think it's I mean a
0: lot of Lynch's work does have drug references but it's yeah. not necessarily like explicitly stated um, I mean obviously we see Diane later in the film she's kind of disheveled she's wearing this you know this gross robe Oh, the robe comes up later in his clothes by the way. Ooh. Um, okay. But I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of cigarettes, but there's no, and there's a lot of alcohol, but yeah, there's no. But yeah, I I mean, it would be interesting if we were already told from the get go that this is like a drug induced stupor, like a dream that we're opening up to. The credits start to roll over the scene of the car going through that horribly ominous, um, mm-hmm. windy road that you spoke about earlier, and there's Angelo Badalamenti's like infamous synthie score that sets the scene and. Yeah, I feel like maybe he said you need to pay attention to this part before the credits because, like you said, a lot of people just wait for the credits, and in their mind, that's when the film begins. Exactly. But maybe that's not the case with Mulholland Drive. Um. So the second clue that I will read now was notice appearances of the red lampshade.
1: Okay, I watched this today, rewatched it, and I didn't notice her. <laughs> or it didn't make an impression on me. Is this bad? Is this something that no. I should know? That's the thing is, like, I think his films are so
0: packed full. Okay, when I was watching Mulholland Drive, I made, like, 12 pages of notes just because every single thing on the screen I had to write down because I knew (laughs) he probably wanted us to look at it. Um, The only thing I I thought we could talk about briefly was um, his use of Um, Uh colour. You know, the red lampshade is obviously... Colour is very important to Lynch, and he uses it pretty heavily in all his films. Not only to Lynch, we've also talked a little bit about superior and the lighting in that. And I, I think for me, The Red Lampshade is just an example of how beautiful this film is. It's a gorgeous film, even though it's really ugly. A lot of the times it's, it's a gorgeous film.
1: Exactly. It, I, I know. Like everyone, count how many times I say juxtaposition. It plays that balance of beauty and grit so
0: well. It really does. I mean, if you compare like the first two thirds of it to the end... Even just the way Naomi Watts looks. Oh in my both gosh, of them.
1: that is so nice. jarring. Her performance is so incredible. And that really speaks yeah. to her performance because, you know, she is playing both these roles. And when you see her, when you come out of the dream sequence and you see her as Diane, right? Diane is the real name, right? Yeah, There's so yeah, many yeah. names to keep up with. Yes. Um, she looks different and obviously she's disheveled and whatnot but like the way that she holds herself the yeah, way that fantastic. she speaks as that character versus betty like yeah. that is really amazing
0: definitely yeah there's i mean there's a real i think this is kind of the movie that made naomi Watts, i guess i i can't recall seeing her in many things before yeah. this but she is a fantastic actress and she i know she's one of lynch's favorite women to use in his movies and you can see why she just I mean th- even that scene where she goes to audition as Betty um, and she uh, I think the movie is called The Sylvia North Story so she goes to the audition mm-hmm. with that weird creepy guy who's like touching her waist yes. like just like the acting she
1: comes out with in that part you're just like glued
0: to the screen like, oh my god
1: yes and the way it's trying? you really believe that this is a person act like it's like acting twice right it's like yeah. Naomi Watts is acting and then acting, and then her character is acting, and you can see the different level. You can see the change that she's playing someone who is acting, which is, yeah. yeah. And it's it's like a dream within a dream, because
0: obviously the failed actress version of Naomi Watts, and then there's Betty, who is the dream version, who is the great actress who's who's got her whole future ahead of her, and then in the dream we have Betty's dream audition where she just blows everyone away so there's just layers upon layers of acting and and context and Naomi Watts is, she just portrays that so well she's just fantastic big big Watts fan over here <laughs> so clue number three
1: okay I'm ready
0: can, can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher is auditioning actresses for is it mentioned again what I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about was Justin Theroux but please. So, <laughs> just, so let's talk about Justin Theroux for a second. So Justin Theroux is the cousin of an extremely well-loved journalist in England called Louis Theroux. Do you? Oh. Have you, is he famous? So it's, it's weird because there's like these two um, like transatlantic cousins. There's Justin on the American side and there's Louis in the UK. And in the UK, Louis is arguably much more famous than Justin. So Okay. We would we would say here. Oh, do you know Louis Theroux has a cousin who's a famous actor in
1: America? <gasps> wow. Okay. I, yeah. I didn't know that. That's so well, cool. Thank you. Fun Our fact, little- I love that transatlantic <laughs> cousins. That's Trans-Atlantic <laughs> the best <Atlantic> phrase. <laughs> yeah.
0: I I have a huge crush on Justin Theroux in this movie. Oh. Um, as Adam Kesher, the the director. I love his kind of early two thousands spiked up hair, dark. Matrix-y glasses look. I just love that.
1: Have you watched Sex in the City? This is an aside. Yes, of course. Okay, so he (laughs) plays two characters. They have them in two different seasons. I don't know if you know this. Carrie dates him twice as two different guys, which is just so bizarre, but love that. And one of them, the first time she meets him, he's like, I don't know if he's an actor. He's something in Hollywood Hotshot, but he literally looks like this character. Like, I wonder if this is them, like... And I'll have to look at, like, the timelines of things, which came out for, I mean, I'm assuming that Sex in the City, he, he came on it after and Drive, but I don't know. But it literally is like he's playing the basic character, and I find that very interesting.
0: Now my mind is, like, blown. Do you think David Lynch is a Sex in the City fan? Like, <gasps> I need to know that. <laughs> Should
1: we start a Sex in the City Slash David Lynch analysis. You
0: know, the Lynchian foundations of <laughs> the adventures of Carrie Branshaw. Doesn't he play the guy who's really close with his family? And, and Carrie- then again,
1: yeah. So then in a later season, Carrie dates yeah. him again and he plays a completely different character. He, this time he's an author and he has some yeah. sexual issues. Oh, yes,
0: he does, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. And she she prefers his family.
1: Yes, it's very interesting how similar, to, I wish I could remember his name. I feel like it's like Jeremy or something like super yeah. 2000s Isn't hot. Isn't that funny,
0: yes. though, that Justin Theroux stars in Mulholland Drive, which is a film that's so big on doppelgangers and
1: doubles and things. Like, and then he plays two different characters. Two different. And, and like Carrie dates hey. bo- like both of them and we just don't talk about it. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. I, th- I really feel like we've we've dug something up here. I feel like. We've we've made an important discovery. <laughs> and listeners, let us know. Have we figured something out in the Lynch-Bradshaw continuum? So number four, an accident is a terrible event. Notice the location of the accident. So one of the things that stood out is after the accident, um, Rita makes her way to Sunset Boulevard. That's a pretty loaded place when it comes to symbolism of, you mm-hmm. know, ho- Hollywood icons. It's the place that tourists flock to to get, you know, a feel of fame. It's 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 also, of course, associated with the the movie from the nineteen fifties, which also follows the actress who falls from grace yes. into hallucinations. So, and I I love how after the accident, she's in this like daze, and she kind of makes her way towards the twinkling lights mm-hmm. of Hollywood. And it, it's like she's in she's sleepwalking. She has like this lazy energy that she's like being pulled towards, um, like a moth to the flame. Exactly. Almost. When he said the location of the accident, I think that's pretty obvious in its symbolism. He's he's been pretty heavy-handed with that one.
1: Diane is on on the way to the house, and this is the night that like shifts things for her because. And this is where, this is a something that I'd love to have your, have your opinion on because we get the mirroring of so Diane is being taken to this party, and then she goes, mm-hmm. "We don't get out here," which is you know what we've heard in the dream sequence, and then. She gets out and Camilla gets out and meets her. And I'm not quite sure what that's about. And then like walks her. And I don't know if it's just like add drama because I'm like, what is this? Like, Yeah, because she leads her to the party
0: where where Diane is about to have her heart broken, basically.
1: Exactly. And so I think that that maybe it's just a way like because they drop her off somewhere. it, It heightens her nerves at something is weird happening and it sh- it takes off that comfortability. Like maybe she's normally dropped off in the front, but this is like the back or something. And so yeah. already she's heightened to what, like something strange going on. And then that just keeps playing out through the night as she just gets her heart broken and stomped over, over and over yeah. again.
0: So it's a, it's a horrible night for her. Um, and it's one that I'm sure a lot of us can, not this exact scenario specifically, but being in a, in a situation where you have to put on a front And you get some terrible news and you have to be like, oh, wow, that's great. I'm really happy. And inside you just want to collapse and die, basically.
1: Especially when, like, Coco, the mom, (laughs) she's just, like, judging her and, like, you know, thinks that she's so pathetic. But then she does, like, that awful little hand pat to her, like, I'm sorry, dear. You know? And it's just such, like, a slap in the face. It's a
0: real (laughs) passive-aggressive moment. And you just think, oh, my God. God, no wonder Diane's, you know, losing it at home after this. It's just a horrible party in a beautiful place. And I feel like that party as well could be considered the accident. You know, it's the part where Diane flips and makes this decision that she wants to end Camilla's life. And
1: it's her villain origin story, this party. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely.
0: And you know what? I don't, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to put a hit out on anyone, but. Uh, if I had that night, I would definitely go home and, like, punch my wall or something.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that is, it's not yeah. a,
0: It's not a pleasant night. Glue um, number five is who gives a key and why? So keys are pretty important in this movie. Um, of course, there's the key to the blue box. Oh, my which gosh, the blue box. The blue box <laughs> is just in itself. Yeah, I feel like you could just do a, a podcast about the blue box because that's one of the the blue box yeah um there's a key that coco gives to betty and then there's a key that the hitman leaves where to to symbolize that he's done the job three keys in this movie they all have pretty different meanings you know there's betty's dream one there's the hitman saying he's done it and then there's the, the blue box and the blue box where, where do you even <laughs> go with this blue box what what is this blue box because i i sure as hell don't know
1: I don't know. I put two notes on my phone after watching it. And it was blue box, question mark, question mark, and the old people, question mark, question mark. <laughs> these are two things that I really, I don't have, I'm just so confused about, because yeah. I feel like I under or have come to understand a lot. But these mm. are two things that I really... <laughs> I don't. I think it, I would be worried if you did understand. Okay.
0: It. Like, I, if you came out and were like, "Oh yeah, I get that," I would, <laughs> I would be worried about anyone because I I remember the first time I saw Mulholland Drive when the two miniature old people come out. <laughs> of, even explaining it now, I'm like, "What? How do you even make this into a sentence?"
1: Because it's so we're back into the reality portion at yeah. this point, right? And we we see the diner. Is where where she has the conversation with the hitman, and so in her dream, yeah. there's like this monster there, right? The monster is like represented, but then in the dream world, you just see it's like a man on the street, right? A man in the alley, yeah. but so that's supposed to be reality. But the box exists there. The box exists in reality. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know either, and I don't
0: I almost don't want to know. All I know is that that man scares the shit out of me, and I. I You know that's when when it comes to talking about *Mulholland Drive* as a horror movie, I feel that's just that scene is one of the scariest scenes Mm. in any horror movie that I've ever seen. Fun fact for anyone who doesn't know: the the actress is so he's labeled as he's called the bum in the credits, but it's actually played by Bonnie Aaron's, who plays the nun in *The Conjuring*. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she, you know, she has this fantastic face. She's got this really interesting, she's got cheekbones for days. She's got this gorgeous nose. Um, Her face is with the right makeup can can look quite threatening. But I, I just thought it was really interesting that she, her actress is a woman, but she's cast as a man. And that made me think when I was thinking up on it, I was like, okay, well maybe in some way the bum is Diane is Diane and in- yeah, she is the monster in her own yes. story. Obviously this homeless person represents the the part of Hollywood that is the underbelly, the, the, right. the poverty and you know the grime and things yes. like that that we that we push aside and we don't want to look at. Right. So that's why this person has to hide behind this wall. And there's really interesting that when in the first scene where these two men who we never see, or well, we do see them later in the diner but we never find out who really who they are
1: yes they're the only two i think that we really don't get a sense of who they were in in yeah. the reality life yes yeah absolutely because everyone else kind of has their altar
0: who you can figure out when you watch the the third act but these yes. two besides the old people they just which we need to get to <laughs> put a pin of those old <laughs> folks we'll come back to them so he says the guy
1: says there's a man behind here he's the one who's doing it and so see this see. is in the dream. And he's yeah. saying he's so afraid, right? He's afraid. He says, yeah. "You're afraid," and right. He like looks at his the friend. He's like, "You're standing over there," and I can tell you're yeah. afraid. And then I'm afraid. And he said, "Yeah, he is doing it. He's doing yeah. He's doing it." And I love that there's no explanation as to what it
0: is, but this man is the one who's doing it. And so I thought maybe okay, if if Diane is the one, is the the bum, the monster. It Wouldn't make sense she because she is the one who's done it, she's the one who's put the hit out on Rita, she's the one who's ruined her own life by doing that. Um, and then maybe that's why she has the blue box at the end because I don't know, so they bought the blue box.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is a way to like so. Um, Rita, you know, is looking into it, zoom into right? We like go into the box, yeah. right? So, I, I, I I get that it's like a physical representation of going into like another dimension, into another state. Like I, I it's yeah. a vehicle for that. But then when it shows up, <laughs> when it shows up in reality, then it makes me think like, wait, is anything real at all? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, you know, when, when we zoom into it as well, that's when the dream ends. So, yeah, you're right. It is, it is. And but going back to the clue number five, it is a key. In a way, the box is also a key because it's a key to... Transferring between dream and waking up, and
1: and I guess the box we see, we see it in like a trash bag, right, or like some sort of bag. It's like put. So maybe, okay, I'm like getting excited. I'm like maybe that is like the dream. The dream is over with. Like the deed is done. The villain is here. Like the monster is here. And this dream, this idea of her life is like gone. It's like trash on the street. It's finished. It's over with. It's done. Yeah. Let's talk about the old people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the,
0: the old people, obviously, we we meet them at the beginning. Uh, we see them in the very first scene, that the two old Betty people. Betty are- walks
1: out with the woman. Yeah. And you think they're like, at first you're like, oh, they're traveling together. And then you realize like, oh, it's just her sweets, you know, Canadian. Yeah. She's from Canada, right? She's yeah. She's like sweet yeah. Canada, starry-eyed girl making friends with the old lady on the, yeah. on the plane. And then... She she gets into her cab and then we see the old lady and the old man in, a, in an extended scene. You know, an extended shot. Like for a long time we yeah. see them and it's it I mean it, it's perfect because it's it is so creepy. Like they're just like smiling. I hate and that it's that like scene. Yes, like it's brilliant, but then them coming in <laughs> back into play as the little <laughs> as like little miniatures Why coming are they out small? of the ball. <laughs>
0: For me, it's just it's just another layer onto the fact that it's dreamlike. Because you know, sometimes I don't know. For example, when I used I used to when I was younger, I used to get fevers a lot when I was younger, and I would always know. I would always have these weird fever dreams where, okay, I would dream that there was giant oranges in my room, <gasps> like the size <laughs> of my room, and that in itself is quite Lynchian. But it was I remember what freaked me out was the size. And for some reason, something about this fever dream and like this warped size made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's something about the uncanny notion of, you know, these are human beings, but they're in tiny little doll states. And, you know, again, are they small because they're meant to represent dolls? So they're meant to represent, you know, like the powerlessness. Is there a higher power playing with us? Because, yes, they, they, they're small and they like slip under her door and then they're terrorizing her, Her right? Yeah. Yeah with this same manic grin that they had when they were sat in the car together just laughing at nothing. Yes. Because when I first uh, went back and watched it, I thought maybe are they meant to be her parents in the dream sequence because they're flanked on either side of her? Or why are they with her at the beginning? And um, Or maybe it's just like um like bookended, like they're there at the beginning of the dream, they're there when she wakes when up. When she
1: wakes up, yeah. yeah. I mean, it could just be as simple as that. They do, they like befuddle me though. <laughs> Oh yeah, they're they're horrible. They're one of the
0: worst the worst things. Them, the homeless man and the dead body are kind of like the three things that get to me most in this mm-hmm.
1: film. Ooh, speaking of the dead body, it I think it, you, we go into the box, there's a dead body, and the cowboy says, Wake up, little darling, or whatever. And then it flashes from like the dead body, then to like her real body. I love this moment. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible because they cause Diane, um, sorry, Betty
0: and Rita went to see the dead body they discovered it earlier and then when we flash back into Diane's dream she's she's lying in the same position as the dead body so obviously this dream sequence is possibly like a dream that real Diane had in her death moments or the the day that she decided to kill herself and you know that she's she's seeing herself dead basically but it is a really it's a really horrible visceral moment when you figure out like
1: oh shit that's her right it is. Yeah. It's I mean it, it sounds terrible to say it's one of my favorite moments, but again it visually it is really striking and a really powerful yeah. tool to tell you that information.
0: So it's it's not even particularly gory. You know, I've seen I've seen far We're you are the so queen scary. of gore. I <laughs> 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 I mean not not much gore gets to me these days, but <laughs> even in terms of like objectively I I can think of films, where, you know, any saw movie has a grosser dead body than this. Right. But there's something about it that's so... And I think it, it's because it's like based in reality. It's not over mm-hmm. the top mm-hmm. decayed and gross. It's just the quote unquote right amount. Yeah, <laughs> um, It's just a horrible, horrible scene. There's two different ways they react. Like Betty kind of is just in silent shock and Rita like breaks down crying. So maybe, maybe Betty subconsciously knows that it's her and is kind of resigned to her acceptance of it. Um, so clue number six. Is notice the robe, the ashtray, and the coffee cup. I mentioned the robe a bit earlier, mm-hmm. and to me, the like a, a dirty robe is like the, a symbol of a depressive state. Absolutely. Like I, I, when I was um, in university, I had pretty bad. Like I went through. I mean, I do. I do suffer from depression now, but I went through a really bad state, and I just lived in like the same robe. Yeah. And it looked like in the same way that Di- uh, Diane's looks like dirty, grubby, white, horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Then you get the ashtray. So there's ashtrays throughout, um, full ones. And uh, obviously, uh, I guess Lynch loves smoking. So to him, it's not a negative thing. But a lot of the times, a full ashtray kind of represents someone who's maybe a, in a bad place in their life, yeah. like a low. And then, of course, the coffee cup. Um, Lynch loves his coffee. Coffee yes. is a very big thing to him. But to me, these three symbols. I I immediately associate them with just a depressive low state. Um, I'm not entirely sure. There are so many different ways you could read into the three of them. Because again, that's the thing with Lynch is like, even his smallest, most insignificant objects, like a coffee cup has, you could write an essay on it.
1: There's just that, there's that whole espresso moment. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Which I find very fascinating because we take a decent amount of time, like, on the espresso and mm-hmm. I mean it's probably just another moment to show like the powers at hand and like someone mm-hmm. you know being very controlling about that but it is just he and his coffee man I love that <laughs> it just
0: explodes into chaos like out of nowhere everyone's yes. shouting there's coffee everywhere <laughs> yes. everyone's angry and then it's just <laughs> you're just watching it like yeah this
1: is a David Lynch movie yep. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a a shot reference back where there was a coffee cup and an ashtray and i remember seeing it again but i'm so sorry this is just edit this out because i'm like i can't tell you what it was but i remember it was a very specific same shot again so yeah there's
0: um so there's the an ashtray that is in the shape of a piano Uh um and in the real world diane's ex-girlfriend comes by to her house when that's where it is Correct, yeah, correct. And she mm-hmm. says, like, that's my ashtray yep. or something. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the ashtray is mentioned and it is like an important thing. And it's a I guess it's a piano shape, you know, it's got that old cutesy uh glamour to it. It's a representative of like musicals and music and Hollywood and things like that. And it's um, you know, it's used as an ashtray, so it's we're shoving dirt in it, which is another great metaphor for, you know, the seedy, dirty underbelly of Hollywood. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, just speaking of um, Lynch's coffee, I've I was mm. able to have some once, um, <gasps> really? not of, like his per, like not he didn't hand it to <laughs> me his house. <laughs> um, no, well, he likes he has like a brand, he has like a coffee brand. But I was Does? able to go to a Twin Peaks pop up, and it was it was the diner, and <gasps> you could sit and have a piece of pie and his coffee and they were out of pie which i was so sad i really wanted that cherry pie yeah and we had been waiting for like three hours in line but anyways uh, but the coffee i will say was worth i mean it was worth it and it was a damn fine yeah. cup of coffee <laughs> damn fine of course it was it's lynch
0: i mean the man lives
1: off coffee and cigarettes I, I mean all you go good artists do type- <laughs> <laughs>
0: The, the classic diet. No, I really thought for a minute you were going to say you'd like been
1: to his house or something. I'm so sorry. I like really. I I went in that like very so confidently. About. I just wanted to say that like his coffee is amazing. So clue number seven. This
0: is one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. What is felt, realized, and gathered at Club Silencio.
1: Oh, and favorite. Yeah, oh.
0: Club Silencio is just oh, just such a pivotal. Gorgeous, horrible, heartbreaking, heartbreaking moment. It has me crying every time I watch it. This, you know, uh, Rebecca Del Rio comes and sings this beautiful song, Jorando.
1: Yes. Yeah, so it's a Roy Orbison. Is that mm-hmm. the original? Um, crying. I think Roy Orbison. Um, but okay. it's this Spanish, beautiful version.
0: Oh my God. It, it makes me cry every single time. Yeah. So the two women at this point realize, well, Diane realizes, I think, at this point that. This None of this is real. This beautiful relationship that she's had with Rita, this Hollywood dream that, you know, this lovely mystery story that they've been trying to figure out. This is the moment where she realizes this dream has to end. I've Mm -hmm. got to wake up soon. I don't cry much at movies, especially movies that creep me out. But this scene always, it does get to me.
1: To have it introduced as this, like, he's like, the band that's not there's no mm. band there's no band no ibound yeah. you know like over and over again in this like but you're going to be hearing stuff but it's not there and it's not yes. real and but then to have this very real moment is just to have this really tender real moment yeah. amongst this surreal dreamlike state is it's really emotional it really
0: is and it's interesting is you said so, yeah, the guy says, no, I banda. There is no band. And towards the end of the song, the singer, Rebecca Del Rio, she faints. Yeah.
1: She stops singing. keeps but going.
0: Yeah, the song keeps going. So she was lip
1: syncing to it the whole time. And, and even that, though they tell me, you that, but I still yeah, thought yeah, that yeah, she yeah. was singing. I, even though they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. literally, like, hammer it into your head. You're like, okay, there's not a yeah. band. But I genuinely believe that that woman was singing. Me too. And I think that's that's a comment on, you
0: know, the fakeness of hollywood but it doesn't matter necessarily that it's fake because if it gets an emotional reaction out of you Mm -hmm. then who cares that's another lynching thing is that he his philosophy is like if it gets a reaction out of you who cares where it comes from who cares what it means who cares in his infamous words who cares how fucking long a scene is his his goal is to get an emotional to, to make his audience feel something. And you know, who cares if she's lip syncing? It doesn't matter, because it's still a gorgeous scene. And it and it does its job. It makes, it makes us cry and it also makes them cry and it it makes them realize, um, which is what the clue said, what 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 is realized that the dream has to end. Right. Um This club scene is also really interesting. I don't know, have you seen Fire Walk with Me, the Twin Peaks movie? I have not. Mm, sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize at all. It's not very. It's not one of his more popular works. If you get a chance, do watch it though, because it's in his way. It's horribly ugly and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But in Club Silencia there's a scene where the camera briefly shows the other members who are sitting in the audience. And there are two women in it. And one of them looks like Laura Palmer. And uh, Laura's friend, whose name escapes me, Teresa Banks, who are two women who were killed in Firewalk mm-hmm. With Me. And I just thought there was like, you know... Lynch works are very often connected. He often puts little, you know, little Easter eggs in for us. I just thought it was a really cute, cute thing to see for a fan of the the lynch I'm interested to know if there's any other scenes in horror movies
1: that make you cry. Oh, that is such a good question. And no, even though I'm a crier, but I think... But that (laughs) does not mean that I don't get sad or a big emotional Mm. response. I just think that often my whatever edge that I'm on, the anxiety I'm feeling or the, or the fun, because let's be honest, we watch them cause they're fun too. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. They, absolutely. Are, they are so fun. Someone else on Instagram had posted something about like crying at horror movies. And I was really trying to think about this the other day. Like, yeah, which ones? Because I am a crier. I mean, I cry. I am I am a cry baby. I cry well, all you're, the you're time. Well, you're a cancer, right? I, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, there we go. So, yep. Checks out. That checks out. Um, <laughs> like, I'm just thinking of Raw right now. And <gasps> even though yeah. I, I didn't cry in Raw, the fear and sadness in that movie, sadness for her, sadness for her sister, sadness for her family is so very yeah. real. Just because I'm not crying tears doesn't mean that.
0: You know what I mean? No, for sure. I have the same thing with laughing. I don't laugh at films ever. Okay. I laugh at things in real life constantly. Like, the stupidest stuff makes me laugh. But when I watch films, I laugh in my head, but I, I very rarely go like, ah, ha, ha, like have a belly chuckle. You
1: know, I'm sure I have. And I will <laughs> I will tell you when I think about it. Please but do. But I, I do feel like maybe... Because often I'm on edge in a great way yeah. in a horror film that that is kind of like keeping my tears at bay. Like
0: there's like some yeah, sort of like yeah.
1: balance there.
0: So number eight, clue number eight. Did talent alone help Camilla? There are two Camillas. Um,
1: yes. The first
0: Camilla is the blonde girl in the dream. Who part. in the dream
1: they want? That's the girl, right?
0: Yeah. That scene when I was watching actually that scene really reminded you of you, m- me of you because it's got that gorgeous like old Hollywood glamour where she's got like the beehive hair and um, yeah. the gorgeous little pink dress. And I thought, oh, I bet Claire likes this. Yeah. Scene. Um, <laughs> and then there's Camilla, who is Rita. So um, Diane's lover. And it's pretty explicitly suggested that Camilla got big in Hollywood, not just due, due to her talent. Correct. You know, there's obviously she has a, a relationship with Adam Kesha, the director, yeah, I mean, it's no secret that a lot of people use their bodies to get, and for absolutely fair play to them, you know, if it's on their terms, one, and yes. two, not abusive, um, which unfortunately we do know a lot of Hollywood, Weinstein, etc. Um, a lot of women are forced into using their bodies to help them get ahead.
1: I think that what's interesting about this, though, is it's not explicitly stated that me- that, is it because, well, at least in the dream sequence, right, there's another, there are other powers at play, yeah. right? And obviously, like, they do have a relationship. So there's, like, a connection. But then we see the cowboy yeah. <laughs> again walk past in that party. And he is a yeah. major power at play, right? So it's like, it also yeah. just brings up a uh, who is the real controller and is Yes, ho- yes. yeah. So, he, so the cowboy meets Adam
0: Kesha in that great scene where... They meet in um like a paddock, very classic Americana. He comes out with that amazing line, which is, if you do good, you'll see me one more time. If you do bad, you'll see me two more times. And I remember when I first watched it, I was so tense waiting for him to come back because I was like, is he going to come back once or is he of going to come back twice? What do you think that the cowboy represents? Why do you think his word
1: is law in this kind of yes. weird dreamscape? I'm not going to answer that first. <laughs> I'm just going to say that so we no, do you see. go ahead. Yeah. We, so we see him twice, right? But yeah. in, but he does do Adam does do good, right? Because he yeah. puts Camilla in the film, right? Like he puts the ch- the girl, yeah, the, who's he supposed her, to be yeah. the girl. Mm-hmm. Why do we see him again? It's
0: not Adam Keshe's dream. It's Diane's right. dream. And obviously, Camilla being cast in Diane's dream is the bad thing. Um, but yeah, I, I to me, just the cowboy. Obviously, as someone who's not from from Amer- North America, like the cowboy is the symbol of Americana. And even going, you know, a little further with that, the Western movies. I'm I'm exactly. not a Western fan at all, but I I appreciate and respect how important Westerns are to the the film industry, he he represents the old Hollywood. I
1: think so, and the studio system, right? The the yeah. big studio system, and westerns were so huge for that, so huge, this particular in Hollywood and all. Like, I mean, we have all of these lots and ranches here mm. that were used for studios for filming, and so I do think it really is a commentary on that. He's in, inter- and you know, the first time I saw him, I thought he was Woody Harrelson. Um, he's not. <laughs> he he's has just a man. Woody <laughs>
0: He has Woody vibes, um, and I even because I, thought, cause I th- maybe because his name's Woody and Woody the cowboy, maybe yes. that's why I subconsciously thought he was. Um, he's got this great creepy Lynchian vibe to him.
1: He does, yeah. He's fantastic.
0: Yeah, no, interesting when you said about ranches. That's the word I was looking for, not paddock. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know this. I actually learned it from. Once upon a time in Hollywood.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, there you go. Yeah. Perfect example. There are yeah. so many. Um, I'm not even gonna think of the studio names and everyone in LA is gonna be like, come on, Claire, but there's these <laughs> different lots and ranch where like it literally was like used to film and there it's like a big open ranch and you can go I, I wanna it say there's like ranch? a Paramount one. Spawn is yeah, Spawn was one. And that mm. where um the Manson family did live for a while and it it was an old lot that was once in the day used. So it's interesting you so said the Manson
0: family as well, because obviously that's the once upon a time Hollywood thing. But there's another example of, you know, that that evil that dwells within Hollywood, but is also so integral to its history. Exactly. Number nine. Note the occurrences surrounding the man behind Winkies. So we briefly mm. mm-hmm. Well, not briefly, we we went into this guy. He's a nightmare, a nightmare creature, one of the scariest scenes. Um uh, it, it, Winkies is not real, right? It's not a real
1: franchise. I do not believe so. I'm okay. going to feel terrible if... I'm I'm looking it up really quickly because I'm like, oh my gosh, what if this is I a I don't big- think... No, I think it's Denny's. I think it's... There is a Denny's. I mean, there are so many diners in iconic diners in LA. No, I don't think it's a real.
0: As a non-American person, the image of the diner is so synonymous with American with North American culture and Hollywood culture specifically. And it's my dream to go to a diner.
1: Oh my gosh. I would love to take (laughs) you to a diner. There are so many cute ones out here. Very historic. And when you come, we will make that happen.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, please. If we could go to the one, um, that they use for filming, that would be great because I would just love to go behind that wall and imagine that I'm the Winkies man.
1: Okay, wait. I pulled it up and it says Winkies on Sunset Boulevard is not real. But it, was, okay. it was actually shot at an old Denny's restaurant. Oh. So there's, there is that connection. And now that I'm looking at the Winky sign, it's literally like the Denny's sign, but just with Winky's.
0: Oh. is that, is that, if could you go to that Denny's? Like, is that within vicinity of, of your neighborhood or?
1: Allegedly now it's called something else. Okay. So now I don't know.
0: I, I love also I love the way that the guy just collapses after he's, mm-hmm. he's like
1: that's like I
0: I do that I've been so scared before that I've just fallen on the yeah. floor it's yeah. so useless but it's so it's so much more realistic than thinking like oh yeah I get I'd get my my fists up and I'd take him on no you yeah. wouldn't you'd collapse and cry like, I just love his face when he's just like oh yeah. shit and just like <laughs> dies on the spot and so the final clue that Lynch provided was, where is Aunt Ruth? So Aunt Ruth obviously is the owner of the house um, that Betty is staying in. In the dream sequence, Betty says that her aunt is making a movie in Canada. I didn't know this, but apparently making a movie in Canada was an old synonym for dead in the Hollywood industry.
1: (gasps) I did not know that. Oh that's yeah, I don't, I don't think it's used these days so much. But well, I think I mean, it's I funny know. because now a lot of filming does go to Canada, so maybe like yeah. it was before. That's a that's really normal now. Like people go to Canada yeah. to film a lot. Yeah, but that's really interesting. And oh, I wish I would have known. I had no clue.
0: That's why Mulholland Driver has so much rewatch value because the more you learn about it when you go back, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. So that's that was the final clue. Where is Aunt Ruth? Because, yeah, because, wait, no, isn't, doesn't it, when it switches back to the reality, she does say that her aunt did die. Die, and that's, and she's
1: like, yeah, it has some money. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So she does mm-hmm. confirm that. That was pretty straightforward. Tiny side note on the house. Um, I love the house.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: It's it's, it's a beautiful apartment, but it's also kind of shadowy around the corners. Like. Mm-hmm. There's always, like, a sense of when you're going into the next room, you're not really sure what's going to be lurking behind. But, yeah, gorgeous house. Love it.
1: it the environment itself is dreamlike and shadowy, yeah. but also beautiful and very L.A. and bright at the same time. You yeah. know, it's got the, like, L.A. architecture and style. Well, that's when she gets out
0: of the cab and, like, she looks up and it's like, Oh That's how I would feel, I imagine, <laughs> Yeah. I saw that beautiful house. So how does Mulholland Drive leave you feeling at the end?
1: The first time that I watched it, I I think, yeah, brain just like blown, trying to process <laughs> all of yeah. the information, feeling slightly overwhelmed. Today, I was just like, that was so cool. And not that I didn't think it was cool the first time, but I was like, to now know things, to rewatch it, to experience. And also, but again, after rewatching, there's still so much I missed but yeah. i was just so in awe and felt like i rewarded sounds so silly but it feel nice. it felt yeah. upon this like m- you know multiple viewing it really feels like a sense of completion i don't know that's so weird but i felt yeah, like i, I was really just like really wow that is so cool i see yeah. everything falling into place i really feel yeah this like
0: it's a monumental yes, piece of film. Yes, yes, yeah. monumental. I mean, unless, you know, bless bless the old guy, unless he can come up with something else in the next few years, I would say Mulholland Drive is probably like his magnum opus. Yeah. Like, it's the essential Lynch piece. Um, I never used to consider it in my top 10 favorite movies, but after re-watching it recently for this podcast, I would say it's it's gone ahead and it slid right in. Honestly,
1: same. Like, I really, like, today, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, even more than the first time I watched it, because I think there is, like, more of an appreciation when you see things fall into place. So when I first
0: watched *Mahan Drive, I think I was in university, the early 20s, and I've watched it a couple of times since then, but I I don't think I've watched it, it within the last four years. And now that I'm a bit older, and I've got a bit more life experience under my belt, something about it stuck with me, but that it's this story specifically there's a story of two women and it's also a story of women coming to terms with the fact that the Hollywood dream maybe isn't going to happen for her. Yeah, And I feel like that's something that a lot of people have to come to terms with. There's this sense of deep sadness and disappointment that I think a lot of people can relate to when you figure out that not everything does go the glitzy, glitz and glamour of Hollywood. I related to it more the the older I get and the more the more realistic I see the world, I'm like, yeah, poor Diane.
1: No, exactly, and I think that's going back to us talking about its accessibility. Is there are a lot of human connection points in this film that feel very relatable? Disappointment, jealousy, fear, you know, anger. It's a very
0: human film. It
1: is a very human film in a very surrealist, crazy way, and I think yeah. that that is just such a wonderful ride to experience. Yeah, and yeah,
0: I, I mean, if you, in some of the Lynch movies, like I don't know, Eraserhead, is so far from the human experience. Correct. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then Mulholland Drive, at its core, is is a story about love, disappointment, sadness, and beauty. I think that's all things that we can relate to in our lives. So, Claire, thank you so much for coming on again. I've had such a great time. Course, me too. And this was the best. We will definitely be doing this again. Um, I know you've got loads of exciting things coming up in over the next few months. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, everybody, if you're not already, which I assume you are, because if you're listening to this podcast, you definitely have good taste. Um, so, if you're not already, go and follow Sunday Scaries and with
1: a two whys, I know with. Two
0: Ys because someone took it, I'm assuming. Um,
1: yeah, it's a CBD brand. Um, <laughs> oh, How LA. Um, yes, but so I'm just, I'm rolling with the two Ys until I can yeah. figure out another No, it I like it because it's like Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Three, like that.
0: <laughs> so tell us in the podcast, what do you think of Mulholland Drive? How did it leave you feeling? What do the old people mean? And do you agree <laughs> with me and Claire's uh, agreement that there is a lynch slash sex in the city universe.
1: That one's the most important people. And Please get back to us. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes, I will see you next time. Thanks for listening and tune in for our next Hornblood Fire podcast.